Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come into your presence as your people this morning. For those gathered and for those separated at home, Lord, we ask that you would draw near to us this morning, that you would speak to each one of us. Uh, we thank you that you are able to do all things, that you are the one that transforms and molds our lives. We thank you for your presence here with us. Bless us, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Amy, for opening up a little of our verse of the year this morning, for Nathan as well, for preaching from that uh, last week. And it very aptly, uh, our verse of the year being in John chapter 1, is very apt for us, because this is where we're going to find ourselves in for a bit of a while. Actually, our plan is to spend all of this year in John's gospel. We're going to break it up a little bit um, so that over the holiday times we're going to have whoever's speaking uh, will be speaking on whatever's laid on their hearts. But we're going to go on a journey together through the Gospel of John over this coming year. And I want to really start at the very beginning of that by setting the scene and looking at why. Why and what is the purpose for us as, as Hamilton Baptist Church in 2022, what is the purpose for us to spend an entire year in one book of the Bible? Do you know, if we reflect on the last couple of years of the pandemic, we've studied uh, the books of First Timothy, uh, we've been in Joshua, we've been in Galatians for the fruit of the Spirit, we've been in various places for the attributes of God. So it seems right that now is the time that we will come and we will focus ourselves on a gospel account. And I guess the first question for me to answer is why John and why not any of the other gospels? It's of course right to say that all the gospels would be good for us to go through. They're all uh, the inspired God-breathed word of God. But, but there's something that draws us into John's gospel. And one of the reasons for that is this will help paint context but the audiences that they are written to are very important as we come to this this morning matthew the first gospel of the new testament was written for the jews who loved the scriptures and who loved prophecies of god and they would only listen to one of their own matthew primarily was writing to the jews mark spoke to the Romans. These were the leaders, these were those in power, and it was power and it was authority that spoke to them. And that is why Mark is such an action-packed gospel that speaks so wonderfully of the powerful life ministry of the Lord Jesus. Luke was a Greek, he spoke to the Greeks, and the Greeks loved culture and beauty and ideas, they loved truth. And that is really what Luke uses. He uses insights and interviews and songs and, and all sorts of things that would bring the inquiring mind to Jesus. And then we come to John. And John wrote to everybody. And he did this by setting a, a wide picture for us. He wrote to those with no prior knowledge of Jesus because everybody needs to meet with God and only Jesus can reveal him to us. And of course, you'll notice from the very beginning that all the other books start with the, the birth of Jesus and of course, John doesn't. John starts with the eternal context of who Jesus is, how he was pre-even the earth up until his incarnation. 
And we can look at these four Gospels almost like paintings. The first three are, are very descriptive, zoomed-in paintings. They are full of detail. They're very, very descriptive. We refer to these as the synoptic Gospels because they give a synopsis of the life of Jesus. They're describing the events that the authors had seen themselves and were reporting back at the time. So these are like a wonderful close-up portrait painting of Jesus for us. And John's a little bit different to the other three Gospels. Because, and you notice it from page one of John's Gospel where he starts in the eternal context, is that he doesn't start with Jesus' birth, but he starts with context. You'll find that John writes his Gospel a bit later in his life. It's more reflective, it's more theological, and he describes the events that he has seen, but he's seen them in the past. And while we see his eyes were carefully guided through everything that he has experienced with the Lord Jesus, and in John's gospel, more so than the other three, we understand the significance of the, the, the actions of Jesus in the eternal context. So imagine John is still drawing, uh, painting, whatever, a portrait, but it is a bit further out. There's a bit more going on behind him. So you can see where, uh, where Jesus says, what's going on? You can see a little bit more. There's a famous phrase, goodness knows who first said it because it's everywhere. But John's gospel is often described as so simple that a child may wade in it and so deep that an elephant can swim there. Way back in just the second century, uh, Arrhenius spoke of this book as the proclamation and the teaching of the gospel. It's the meaty gospel. It is the teaching gospel. It is the reflective gospel. And we get insights into the God-inspired, wonderful wisdom of John as we embark on this journey. A year might seem a long time to spend in one book, but it is fast-paced because there is so much going on. And as we approach the beginning of this, it just becomes interaction after interaction with Jesus. And week after week, we're going to see how Jesus transforms people's lives. I think that's pretty exciting. And one of my favorite theologians, R.C. Sproul, in his commentary, just prays this as we come to this book. He says this, My prayer is that you will grow in your knowledge of and love for the supreme treasure, Jesus the Redeemer, the one whom John the Baptist hailed as the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. So why John's Gospel? Because it gives us context. It gives us the full story of Jesus. So that is the purpose of the book. So what is the purpose for us here today? Well, thankfully, that's what John gives us in John 20. And the purpose of this for us today is that we might grow in our knowledge and our love for Jesus. Do you know, our church vision starts with a passion for Jesus. And we've lost a lot of that in the last couple of years in terms of our vision statement with everything that we've been through. But it's going to be interesting how this is going to be drawn out in this year ahead. And that's why on the first slide, 
The, the reflection for this year is um, growing in a knowledge for Jesus leads us to a passion for Jesus. And that's my hope for this year ahead, that as we grow to know more and more and more of Jesus, that we would grow more and more and more in our love for him and the things that he loves. I want to encourage you at the start of this to bring a notepad or a paper Bible or something with you to church every Sunday. Some of you might like these. Uh, these are called the uh, scripture journals. They've got the scriptures on one side and a blank page on the other. They're great for jotting down notes. But as we work our way through this book, and as we have many different men stand here and bring God's words to us, if you start from next week, when Nigel Heath will open uh, the beginning of John chapter 1 for us, you will have a full book, you'll have your own commentary in a year um, on John's gospel. I think that would be a wonderful thing for everybody to, to do, to take note of, and then to come back and to look at. And it's one of the unique places we find ourselves in with the fact that we don't have a senior pastor at the minute. It means that there will be many different voices standing here. And I really enjoy that. I really enjoy us having one series with lots of different voices. Because we get to hear those different voices all singing from the same song sheet. But all the way along, we just pick out little gems that we hadn't heard before. New pieces of wisdom and things that will help build up such a rich picture ultimately of our Lord Jesus. So the two purposes that John lays out for us very simply. Firstly, that you might believe. It is not necessary for us to physically see Jesus to believe. I'm sure we've all spoken to someone that said, if I could just see him, then I would believe. If I could just touch him, if I could just watch him do a miracle, then finally I would believe in him. But of course, we know that that isn't necessarily true. Because many thousands physically saw Jesus, and yet not all believed. Of course, many didn't believe, and many to the complete opposite hated him that much that they killed him. Seeing is not necessarily believing. Of course, it would have been the most wonderful thing. It would have been the most wonderful thing to, to, to be a first century disciple. Well, it wouldn't have been wonderful because it ended badly for a lot of them. But it would have been great to have been there and seen Jesus in the flesh and followed him as he spoke. But we can't. And those first century Christians were not saved by seeing Jesus, but they were saved because they believed. And that's an emphasis that you will see time and time and time again in the Gospel of John. There's almost a hundred references to it in total in the book eh, of believing in Jesus. And you and I today, we cannot see the Lord Jesus in the physical. We cannot see him physically stand here and perform the signs and the wonders that he did. But there is a record, and it is given to us in the form of the God-breathed words. And as Paul tells us in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. 
But of course, that belief is not just a belief that Jesus is who he says, uh, who he says he was. That belief isn't just a belief in the fact that Jesus could do miracles. It wasn't enough just to affirm that yeah, Jesus was different. It wasn't enough just to say Jesus is supernatural or even that Jesus is capable of doing the things that he did. But of course, we are saved by believing in the divine, eternal, redeeming Savior of the world. The signs and the teachings and, and everything laid out in all of the gospel accounts for us are proof of the deity of Jesus. They are proof for us of who this man is. And they're important for us. They're not exhaustive, we're told that. There is far, far, far more. There is far more people that encounter Jesus. There will have been far more miracles performed. There will have been far more things taught. But what we have is enough. The life and ministry of Jesus would simply be too rich for anybody to try and write out every single bit of it. But everything that is necessary for our salvation is laid out for us in Scripture. Faith in the things that Jesus did should lead us to faith in, in His work and to a personal faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John doesn't finish with believing, but he continues to, to, to write. He continues to speak to us because he's not saying, know the right things, and that's enough. He's not saying, be orthodox in your understanding, have a great theology, and that's enough. But there is a purpose to our knowing Jesus. And of course, we come to the subject right in the middle of those two bits there that tells us that the subject of all of this, of all of Scripture, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the subject of the whole book. He is the subject of the whole of Scripture. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we see it, and we will see it displayed in the way he walks, in his words, and in his work. The second part of that, that we might believe and that we might have life. That is the purpose of John's gospel. When people trust in Jesus for their salvation, they are never the same again. Because Jesus is in the business of transforming life. John uses the word life 36 times in his gospel. Why? Because he wants to constantly uh, reaffirm for us that Jesus offers sinners abundant and eternal life. And the only way to that, the only way to that eternal and abundant life can be found by believing in him. As Jesus, of course, himself affirms in John 10, 10, I came that they, have, they may have life and have it abundantly. Sad reality is those who don't know Jesus don't have life and they don't even know it. To have the life that God created us to have, we must first find Jesus. 
And in a world that constantly tells us life is what you make of it, the promise of the gospel is that your life is what Jesus can make of it. That we can give the brokenness and the emptiness of our lives into the hands of our Creator and our Sustainer and our Redeemer. That we can give the shatteredness and the brokenness of our hearts into the hands of Jesus. And, and only the most incredible of God can do this. But he begins to work with that and he makes it new. Do you know, there is one purpose to the book of John. There is one purpose in the gospel of Jesus. And that is that we might come to the conclusion that Jesus is in fact the Christ. That Jesus is the promised Messiah. And that by coming to that conclusion, we might have life in his name. And in a very real sense, the Gospel of John is just like a long evangelistic tract for us. He lays out with precision and intentionality an argument to persuade whoever reads that this Jesus is who he says he is. But that life that is promised to us, is never meant to be a life that is kept to ourselves. The message of Jesus is never meant to be kept to ourselves. At one point in time, most of us came to the realization that we are made for more than what surrounds us in this world. That we are made for something greater than merely an earthly existence. We come to a point where we realize that the things that we have it cannot be met, that our deepest needs cannot be met, and that our souls are not satisfied by the things of this world. And that is the wonderful promise of those who are looking for something deeper and more meaningful in life. Jesus can meet your deepest need. Jesus can satisfy our innermost longings. And the best news of all is that he made it possible for us to experience through faith in his son. One of my main hopes as we spend time in John's gospel and this time ahead is it would force us more to look outside our own four walls. I hope that John's gospel is both uncomfortable and boundary pushing for every one of us. Why? Because Hamilton and Scotland desperately need Jesus-loving, Jesus-sharing disciples. Jesus told his disciples in John 9, 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. There is a time that is coming that this world will end. There is an urgency to the message that John brings us. There is an urgency to the gospel message that there is be uh, to believe and have life in Jesus. There is an urgent message for a sin-sick world. And if we're honest, Scotland needs it most urgently out of just about any country that exists. I wonder who the last person was that you shared your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with. Here's why it matters. Because there are thousands on our doorstep 
that do not believe and do not have life and have no hope in Hamilton. And that burdens our Lord Jesus. That burdens the one who came to seek and to save the lost. It burdens him so much that he gave it to us as our mission to go forth with. A mission that he gave us his spirit to help us in because he knows how weak and how frail we can be. That's how much he cares about this message reaching people. One of the biggest problems we see in the church in this nation is, and across the West is we're so quick to be self-absorbed. The church suffers greatly because we can so easily be spiritually lazy. We're so much quicker, if we're honest at times, to reach for our TV remotes before our Bibles. We struggle with theological tribalism. This idea that I am right, therefore you cannot be. We see political rivalry infest the church. We see passions for politics more than the gospel. We can be so quick to fight and pick petty arguments. We can be so quick to make nothing into massive issues. And we so often misplace our priorities. We so often pray so little, and even when we do pray, we don't pray very hard. And we make more time for ourselves than we do for meeting the needs of others. We invest more time in ourselves in the things that we want than in the coming kingdom. And I think a lot of that is not lost on those who are out there. Many wonder, how can we account for the differences between what Christians say and what they do? They wonder just how deeply do we believe the things that we say we believe. And if, if we don't act and are seen to have the life that is promised with the belief that we profess to hold, why on earth would anybody consider Jesus? Too right, you would think. Maybe church just isn't worth the time it requires. And when this stuff begins to happen, tragedy comes. We lose our desire and we lose our hunger to see the lost transformed. And it is affecting the gospel witness of this nation. And it is affecting the gospel witness of our church. It is so easy for the mission of the church to get lost and dwindle behind stuff it is so easy this last couple of years especially because we've all had to deal with stuff we're still in the stuff the pandemic is not over but as Jesus outlines for us in John 12 26 if anyone serves me he must follow me The Westminster Confession tells us that our purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And with our purpose is our mission, and our mission is to take the gospel to all nations. And if we start at home, friends, we need Jesus, and Hamilton needs Jesus. And we have that message. We have that message of hope in our hands. 
Would this year as we come to John's gospel be the year that we, we sense that call for all of us to a life of mission? Would it be the year that we get serious about local mission and not just church-organized activities, but local doorstep conversations with neighbors and colleagues and friends-type stuff? Because each one of us is called to that life if we have belief and life in Jesus. When you just take a moment, as we will look at in a lot of depth in the months to come, Jesus' method for evangelism in John's gospel, we see that he spoke to people and he met them where they're at. In the first chapter of John alone, we see five instances in which Jesus won individuals to himself through talking to them. Andrew and John were one after a long afternoon with Jesus. Andrew brought his brother Peter and Jesus enlisted him as one of his followers. Jesus won Philip with the words, follow me. And Philip in turn found Nathaniel. And Jesus enlisted him. We see in chapter 3 the explaining of the gospel to Nicodemus. We see the sinful Samaritan woman at the well come to Jesus because he meets her where she is at. We see him meet a nobleman and he comes to faith in Jesus. We see laid out for us a pattern on which our Savior himself won souls to himself. Scotland desperately needs gospel urgency from his people and there is no exemption and no exception from that. And we will sense that as we read together John's gospel. Maybe everybody in your life knows of your faith. Maybe your family and your friends, neighbours, students, colleagues, friends, whoever it may be. Maybe you've been greatly blessed to see many of them come to faith and that is wonderful. We pray that this message would be one that says keep on going. Or maybe you're in the place that nobody has a clue about your faith because it couldn't be any more tucked away and hidden. Well, my hope is that this year, as you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, you would be emboldened to stand for Jesus. And then that burdening that is on the heart of our Savior would burden us. And would this be a church that is full of our neighbors and our friends and our family coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ because that's the impact that truth can have truth transforms us truth makes us more and more like Jesus and his heart breaks for the lost I love the proclamation in John 1 29 behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world That is our God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of this world. Do you know, it's not easy being a follower of Jesus. It is costly. And we'll see that as we journey through this gospel together. The early Christians knew that following Jesus was costly. My prayer is that our love for our Savior would grow and our burden for the lost would grow. I'm excited for what will come in the weeks and the months ahead. 
Friends, would we be open to the challenge that there will be to us? Would we sense that emboldening through the Holy Spirit? Would we sense when God convicts us, when God challenges us, and when he encourages us? Because the strength that we need for this life is found only in him. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways in which the, the, the four gospel writers present to us so wonderfully the life of our Lord Jesus. That as we turn those pages, our hearts are stirred as we see a saviour save life. As we see a saviour hang upon a tree and triumphantly raise, uh, rise three days later. That our Saviour stood in our place. That the punishment that was mine is now not mine. It is His. And we thank you that by faith in that Saviour, we have life. Lord, would you help us to live in that new life? In your name we pray. Amen.